0: Thankful for the way these stories hold
1: on to the lifetime we won't get back.
2: Hello, and welcome to Kankakee Podcast, where we talk about the people and places of Kankakee County. I'm Shake Lamore, and today, We are joined by two people that are from Olivet Nazarene University. We've talked a lot about Olivet so far on the podcast, but we actually haven't had anyone officially from Olivet Nazarene University on the podcast to talk about actually something directly related to ONU. And it's about time we did because we're over 50 episodes in and we actually haven't had a topic specific to Olivet. So we're, we're changing that right now. I am pleased to welcome both Jerry Lamont and uh, Steve Case to the podcast. Welcome to both of you.
1: Thanks for having us.
0: Of course. Wow, we're the first from Olivet. That. That's, uh, that's yeah. Impressive. I mean, I, I feel we, honored. We've had
2: people affiliated with Olivet. Maybe they, you know, teach a class there or something. But nothing. This is the first podcast that actually we're going to deep dive into a just a sliver of the community that is Olivet Nazarene University. It's it's amazing how if it wasn't for Olivet, there's so many different people that would have never come to this county or maybe they wouldn't, they would have just had a completely different life or just this county as a whole. All of it really does bring in a lot of different people to our community. Absolutely. And and yeah. not just Bourbonnais, but the, the area as a whole specifically, I didn't even get to the specifics, but we're talking about the Strickler planetarium. So Jerry, let's, let's talk about what's your official title and what you do at the planetarium.
1: Right. I'm the planetarium manager at Strickler. And so I oversee pretty much everything planetarium related. I oversee the public shows. We have private shows. We have student operators that work in the planetarium. So I train them, work with them. Uh, We do have a secretary, Tina, who is the one that schedules shows. And she's, she's the best. So we have her. But then there's her, there's me, a few operators, and I run the show.
2: And then Steve, right? you are I mean, I know you used to have Jerry's job, but what do you do now?
0: Yeah, so so I'm a professor at Olivet. I'm in the um, program in Earth and Space Sciences, which is in the Department of Chemistry and the Geosciences. And when I started at Olivet, I was a planetarium director and also teaching astronomy classes. I still teach astronomy at Olivet, still get to spend time playing in the planetarium but I've moved into some different administrative roles uh, at the college.
2: Okay, awesome. I guess first, for those that aren't familiar with a planetarium, what's a planetarium? This is probably the perfect place to start, right? What in the world is a planetarium?
1: Yeah, uh, I'll take that one. (laughs) Um, So a planetarium is typically a dome-shaped location uh, where stars can be projected up into the ceiling. You can look at the skies. They started out at with these projectors where you just see the stars and they have gone so advanced now. We can fly through the universe. We can look at the galaxy. There's there's so much that we can do in our planetarium. But there's different types of planetariums, different sizes. The one that we have, we see 50 and it's just a dome, dome-shaped flat surface planetarium.
2: As a kid, it always seemed big. Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, for the size that, ONU is, that's not bad.
0: Yeah, it's also just really unique to have a planetarium at all at a school all of that size. That was one of the things that drew me as a student. I grew up going to the planetarium in my hometown, and I wanted I wanted to be at a place like that. I wanted to work at a place like that. And there are just a handful of planetariums in smaller Christian colleges like Olivet.
2: I would imagine uh, they're few and far between. Where Where did you both grow up? Are you from the area originally, or did uh, did— Olivet bring you
0: um so so you're saying you know people that were brought to this place specifically for Olivet, that, that was me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I grew up uh, in the Flint area in Michigan, okay um, and, uh, like I said, would go to the long way planetarium when I was a kid on field trips and just fell in love with the that whole the whole experience of being in a space it just seemed magic to me that you could like you could see the stars in the middle of the day and and they could move them around and you could be in different places on earth or different times and uh, so I came to Olivet as an undergraduate I was here from 01 to 05 and as a student I was one of those operators working in the planetarium which was much different then it's probably how you remembered it as a kid
2: I mean I've been it's funny you mentioned that because I've been trying to think back in my mind to those few times I went. And I mean, I was young. I was in, it was like kindergarten and first grade. So mm-hmm. I was like my son's age, right, <laughs> five, six, seven years old. And I've been trying to think back to what I remember. And I just remember it being cool. Like <laughs> that's about, I can't really remember anything specific. I was trying to think what type of show was it? And I feel like maybe it was it's just like a walkthrough of our galaxy that we live in maybe is what the show was possibly yeah i I just wish i could remember more specific a
0: lot of people remember the old green benches okay they're sort of like in circles around the center of the planetarium um and a lot of people remember the old star ball projector so it was this big optomechanical projector in the center of the dome that kind of looked like a big ant or a big insect
2: I feel like maybe that's kind of what I re- and I'm sure it was because this would have been in the 90s so right so <laughs> right.
0: Um, so, so I, I operated it when it was like that then I went away to grad school came back to teach it all of that went away to grad school again and now I've been back here since uh, I think I was the director of the planetarium for maybe about 12 years or so until just about a year ago
2: and and so now it's all digitized right I mean it's all it's not just a a ball with some stars
0: right. cut out. Yes. In it. <laughs> yeah. When before it was it was the star ball projector, and then you had probably a dozen different slide projectors all around the perimeter to do all the, the special effects. When I came back in 08 for the first time, took over and started teaching, we had just upgraded to a digital planetarium, which like Jerry was saying, it's it it makes a whole new dimension of what you can do. I tell students we can literally pilot the, the planetarium from the earth's surface to the edge of the known universe. And, uh, and it's really amazing. So people that, that come that had been there when they were a kid and come back, they're usually kind of blown away.
2: It's all the more reason I need to go back. <laughs> so, so I guess since we're on the topic, I know you, Steve wanted to kind of talk about the, the history of the planetarium. How did it start sure, at all Sure. it. Nazarene University.
0: Yeah. So we celebrated the 50th anniversary of the planetarium just a few years ago. It's um, almost
2: as old as the college because the- co-
0: The college just celebrated its 75th anniversary in this location. Yeah. Um,
2: I know it's older than that, but right. I know the location, I thought it was around 70, yep. so I was right. I think, again, I think yeah. it was a few
0: years ago. So this was you know, round about the, the time of the space race. Sputnik had been launched not too long before. And, uh, and we were, you know, on the race to the moon, basically. And so there was a huge push for space education, science education, all around the country. So you'll see lots of planetaria, lots of planetaria. Is it planetaria or planetariums? I've never been able to decide. I believe it's
1: planetaria.
0: <laughs> okay, planetaria. It sounds more legit. Yeah, okay. It sounds more official. Sure. We'll, we'll go with that then. <laughs> planetaria all around the country sort of being built during this period, sometimes in high schools, sometimes in different colleges. And so ours was built about the same time as the Reed Hall of Science, and Which people
2: can see right from Convent, Main Street there.
0: Yep. And the Planetarium is just on the other side of it. So sometimes people say, well, where is it? I, I'm not sure. Um, do you have to walk through the Reed building to get to it? You can or you can, you walk, or you can around? walk around. Okay. Or a lot of times what uh, groups will do is they'll park, buses will drop students off at the circle in front of College Church. And then you can just you can see it from there. And yeah. You can walk to it. Yeah. And so, uh, so yeah, so it was a uh, really kind of, it was a community fixture. So I've talked to people my parents' age who are like, oh yeah, I remember going to the planetarium <laughs> when I was a kid. And so I feel like it's, it's, it's touched the community in a lot of ways. Lots of people have memories of it and it's a, uh, it's a really unique, it's the, to get to, I mean, the next closest one is the Adler in Chicago. So we're the only one for our, for our region.
2: There's no other college near that has one that before joliet
1: junior college does have one i don't know if that's closer
2: well jjc is yeah i mean joliet is i would say closer
1: yeah a lot a lot more i feel like have been popping up across illinois and more digital ones too and I feel
2: like if you're going to travel all the way to Joliet, you may as well go to Chicago. Yes. At that At that point, <laughs> it's like, just go to Chicago. It, it's really not going to make that much more of a difference because Joliet's already 45 minutes away. Sure. You may as well just take the extra 15 minutes or so and go to the city.
0: Plus, so. yeah. I mean, the Adler Planetarium is pretty
1: impressive. Yeah, They're Adler right is really cool.
2: <laughs> I have never been to Adler, but... I've been to Strickler. That's the only one I've been to. <laughs> okay. Obviously, I need to revisit that and then explore other ones. As far as before planetariums existed, was it pretty much like, okay, here's a map and here's the planets that we know of. I think and... <laughs>
1: people went outside.
2: <laughs> <laughs> they probably did, right? Telescopes and all that.
1: And there I mean... was less light pollution. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's Well, that's true. They yeah, true. well, and and what... For me, what makes it so amazing as a teaching tool is because just like you're saying, you know, well, we've got maps, we've got star charts. When we're teaching, you know, about, say, the motion of the planets or how the sky changes over the course of the year or over even the course of the night, we can show these observations that I always remind my students. Like if you were just watching the sky trying to figure out the path of the planets, you would be making observations for years, right? You'd have to go out every night, year after year, plot where the planets were, figure these things out. So one of the amazing things is to sort of use it as a time machine. And suddenly these concepts that we maybe think we understand really become clear because you're sort of seeing it in the sky above you in real time.
2: What is the planetarium used for? As, I mean, obviously we're looking at planets, we're looking at stars, but on a daily basis, what kind of classes... I would, I would imagine, or is it being used for?
0: Sure. Well, I'll talk a little bit about the classes, and then maybe, Jerry, you can talk about the shows. So we use it a lot for our astronomy classes, sort of for obvious reasons. We're talking about <laughs> finding constellations, identifying constellations. So what is a constellation? Oh, yeah. Sorry. So. Uh, no, it's okay. It's um, just... A group of stars. Orion, the... the well, kind of be careful, because the Big Dipper is... Technically not a constellation. It's, it's part not? Of, part of a larger constellation, Ursa Major.
2: So what is, the, what's, what is the constellation that the Big Dipper is a part of?
0: Yeah, so the Big Dipper, so that, that, that shape, the Big Dipper is, yeah. is what we call an asterism, just like a shape you can find in the, scar, in the stars. The official constellation that it's a part of is the Big Bear, Ursa Major.
1: Come to a planetarium show and I'll tell you all.
0: About it. <laughs> yeah, you can't give away everything,
2: right? I uh I guess I just didn't realize that. But is Orion's belt is that a
0: so constellation? So Orion is a constellation. It is. And okay. his belt, those three stars, that'd be another yes. good example of an asterism. Okay. Yep.
2: So what are some other those are the only ones I know. Or well, yeah, I it guess that like, would
0: sounds like you should come <laughs> to a planetarium show.
2: <laughs> <laughs> What's another famous one though? I
0: uh, in the summer sky curiosity. right now, and I always, I always get it wrong. It's either Scorpio or Scorpius. I always say the wrong one, whichever one it is. The scorpion. It's, uh, it's visible in the summer sky now. That's it. And then we've got the three that make up the summer triangle: Cygnus and Aquila,
1: and Myrat.
0: And Lyra. Yeah. Very good. Thanks. Yeah. So we use it for sort of making our students familiar with the night sky, kind of prepping them before then we actually go out into the field with the telescopes. Uh, we use it to talk about the planets, how the planets you know, move through the sky over the course of the year. We use it to teach about the seasons, right? Why do you have longer days and shorter days at different times of the year? It's one thing to sort of see that in a book and like, oh, the tilt of the axis. It's another thing to see it play out, like where is the sun going to rise? Where is it going to set throughout the year? Um, and then because we're a digital planetarium, we can – Like take them to Mars and say, okay, look, we're going to go to Mars now. We're going to look at the surface of Mars, talk about geology on Mars, or we're going to go to the outer planets and talk about the systems of moons. And we can literally, well, not literally, not (laughs) we can (laughs) basically fly them there. And now we're in orbit of Jupiter and we're looking at you know Jupiter's moons. So it's a really powerful teaching tool. So we use it for lots of classes on campus.
2: Now, my question is, and it's just because I'm thinking of someone that might be listening to this and they don't know a lot, just like I don't know a lot, What what is the whole point of, of studying of the stars and the planets? What is really the benefit? Sure. You know, because I think some people think, oh, that's a waste of time, but it's not. There's actually a lot of maybe everyday things that get used that comes from the knowledge of studying the planets and the stars and the solar systems and all that stuff.
0: Absolutely. So, I would tackle that from two different sides, and we kind of do this (laughs) when I teach astronomy. So, astronomy, the students that are taking astronomy are usually not science majors. They're taking it as their general, sort of general ed science requirement. And so, often they have that same question, like, what is the point, right? So on the one hand um, we talk about we talk about culture we talk about history. We talk about the sense that like the astronomy has really been humanity's shared culture for thousands of years. So just as one simple example, sometimes we'll talk about the calendar right Where does the calendar come from? Why does the date of Easter for instance jump all over the calendar but the date of Christmas is fixed? If you're looking at a lunar calendar and you're looking at maybe uh, like uh, Islamic holidays, why does Ramadan sort of move throughout? the year. And then simple things like, why do we have seven days in the week? And (laughs) where do those come from? And by the time that I'm done with them, I hope they realize that we sort of live in a culture that has really been built around our knowledge of the night sky that most of us probably don't have anymore, even though we still have all these vestigial remains of it. So there's that sort of, you know, that cultural awareness part. And then the other part that we talk about is just uh, what does it take to be a well-informed, scientifically literate citizen today? What does the solar system have to do with us? Well, we need to understand the interaction between, say, the sun and the earth if we're going to build power systems and satellites that aren't going to be fried by solar flares. Or we need to understand the inner solar system if we're going to realize, you know, the danger, legitimate danger posed by things like near-Earth asteroids, and, you know, why should we fund uh, space exploration? What does it do for us? How does it protect us? How does it benefit us? So those are some of the things that I talk about in class.
2: Okay. Awesome. I like your your Cliff Notes version. That was very – I know there's so many – I know it's a big, big question – to answer and there's obviously many different reasons and then the
0: simplest answer is just curiosity right yeah because everybody goes outside and looks up and says what is all that and what does it mean well just the fact you
2: bringing up the calendar just now i'm like wow that's right i completely forgot like that's where the that's where the calendar comes from so it's just you it makes you just think a little more next time you flip through another month in your calendar and you're okay. like hmm which
0: literally means moon month, month Mo- is moon okay month. so yeah.
2: see i didn't even I, know that exactly. i didn't know Did that it? one either <laughs> so jerry you let's talk about these shows are these shows open to the public that people can see at the the strickler planetarium or
1: yeah we have both private shows and public shows so typically we have public shows at least twice a month some months, not that many times, but usually the first and third Saturdays of the month. We have public shows that evening, and they all include a program and a Life star Talk. We also have a roller coaster ride that a everyone roller A roller coaster ride? A virtual roller coaster well, ride.
2: See, mm-hmm. I'm going to have to take my son because yes. he he's got a thing about rides and roller coasters and yeah yeah
1: my kids love it. I feel like everybody loves a roller coaster ride. and with a roller coaster ride because it's a good time.
2: I mean I'm fine with a virtual one. I can do that, but not a real one. so I'm all in for <laughs> for this one absolutely. some people get
1: motion sickness
2: oh, no, that's true. you still could get motion sickness, yeah. couldn't you? Yeah,
1: yeah,
0: but you don't get that crick in your neck right <laughs> <laughs> from the yeah
2: yeah, mm-hmm. and the jolting or the yeah Let's talk about more on on your side of things, Mm -hmm. Jerry. What's your fascination with the planetarium or or stars or what's the thing that gravitates you most towards a planetarium? Yeah,
1: Yeah, I can just tell you my story on how I got there.
2: Yeah, please.
1: Yeah, so I studied geology and then stuck around and taught some labs at Olivet, just oversaw those introductory labs and they needed an astronomy lab instructor. And so I got pulled into that position. I don't know if Steve knew how much I knew about astronomy or not at the time because I had never taken an astronomy course. So I just dove in head first, okay, I've got to learn this, I've got to figure it out. And I loved it. I didn't know how much I would love it until I got into it, but just loved it. So did that for a couple of years and then Steve talked about the position opening up for planetary manager and I was like yes I do want to do that and it has been the most fun job the most fulfilling and the most fun job that I have ever had just a really good time I love bringing people in and seeing them in amazement looking up people kids just being curious and looking up and I don't know of invoking that sense of wonder is just really cool and most people really enjoy the planetarium so it's great to have a place where people are coming and having a good time
2: i can't imagine anyone not enjoying it i mean there's it's just it's the unknown right Mm -hmm. still to this day we've done all this research for thousands of years There's still all these unknown things.
1: There's so many questions. And (laughs) during a show, we get lots of questions. Yeah,
2: so what are the questions?
1: (laughs) Oh, it is the best part. It is my favorite part of any show. Generally, I've noticed that the younger kids often have... More questions and more exciting questions. That's not always the case, but mm-hmm. I often get asked, oh, do aliens exist? And so we talk about how, or I talk about how we don't have scientific evidence of that, but that doesn't mean that they don't exist. And, you know, You're sometimes like, oh. the grown-ups are looking around, why did you say that? <laughs> but it's true. And I'm not going to, you know, squash their curiosity. So that's one question that comes up. I'll get asked how hot the sun is or how big different how things hot are. How is so the sun? I don't I,
2: remember. So
1: what I do is I rush over to the computer and get on Google and type those <laughs> questions in real quick because I don't have those numbers in my head.
2: <laughs> you don't have? I would think by now you would, I, I right? I think
1: Steve knows probably Steve. how hot the sun well, is. Well, it depends on what part of the sun you're talking
2: about. <laughs> oh, see, or the now we're getting, so,
0: now we're getting but, technical. But you're absolutely right. I mean, sometimes it's just like I don't remember that specific number, but here's what we do know and here's how we would find out.
2: Yeah. So the core is the core of
0: the sun hotter than Yeah, so the core would be on the on the order of millions of degrees and the surface is on the order of thousands. I don't want to say a number cuz I'll probably get it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very hot but not as hot as the core. Yeah.
1: Do you know the number in kelvin?
0: Well, it's basically the same at that oh, scale. Okay. Like, cuz you're only off by about 300.
1: Oh, okay. It no, doesn't you. matter. Okay.
2: Oh, okay. What are So you talked about those
0: questions. Black holes. They always want to know about black holes. Yeah, Yeah, that's another one. Dark
1: energy, dark matter, dark matter.
2: So explain, what is a black hole?
1: I feel like Steve will do a better job explaining that one. (laughs) Okay, I'll try. I I can explain things, but it really helps to have the planetarium because I can demonstrate it. I can show things. Yeah, I'm going to hand that one over to him, though.
0: (laughs) No, but you're right, because those questions in the planetarium, it's so often like, let's go look at one. Here, let's spin this guy around and let's find one and let's go there and let's talk about it. So black hole's shortest answer is if you've got a star that's massive enough right? And when it ends its life cycle, so the sun will never do this. The sun's not big enough, but when it ends its life cycle, you got to think of the star as a balancing act between some outward force and the inward crush of gravity. And when a star uh, uses up all its fuel, that outward force dies and nothing, if it's big enough, nothing can resist the, the, the collapse due to gravity. And so it collapses down to an infinitely small, infinitely dense point that we call a black hole. Because At that point, nothing, not even light, could escape from it if it got close enough, if it got close enough to the star, got beyond its event horizon. So there's some of the most bizarre things in the universe. They stretch our understanding of physics. They were predicted theoretically before they were detected observationally, but they're out there and they're teaching us crazy things about the universe.
2: So do do things get sucked into these black holes then as...
0: Yeah. So if you have a, often what happens if you have a binary star system, two stars that orbit around each other and one becomes a black hole, it can then, the mass of the other star can kind of be spiraling around it. And that's usually how we find them because as it's like water spiraling down your drain, right? As it's falling into the black hole before it crosses the event horizon, it gets really energetic and gives off a lot of heat and energy. So we can see them that way. So yeah. But the big question that I sometimes get from the kids is like, well, Our our black hole is going to swallow like everything. And so I said, well, let's just assume magically the sun became a black hole. It would still have the same amount of gravity. It would not suck the earth in. It just meant that there would be a point that if you got close enough to the sun, you wouldn't be able to get back out. So they're not like giant space vacuum cleaners.
2: That's good to know. Yeah.
0: I I Sleep like well to, I like <laughs> I
2: like with my imagination I like to envision a black hole as like this portal into another dimension, but I know that's, you know. We like can't <laughs> prove
0: it's not possible, <laughs> but
2: <laughs> some time traveling if if you will. But,
1: interstellar.
2: Yeah. There you go. The yeah. Interstellar. Is that what I still haven't seen that movie? Is that is what happened? Interstellar
0: is pretty right. Well, yeah, y- yeah more or sort or less. of, yeah.
2: yeah. The more or less they go to a black hole.
0: Yeah, so if you so the the other thing that blows <laughs> the students' minds and the kids' minds is so if you have enough gravity time runs differently in 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 a greater gravitational field. So theoretically if you were close to a black hole and then moved back out to a safe distance Time would have run more slowly for you. So time would have passed more quickly maybe for your for your friends you left behind, which is what happens in an interstellar. Spoiler, sorry. <laughs>
2: What's your favorite thing about space or your favorite fun fact mm. that you like to share? with people when
1: they come into the... Well, I do like to break people's heart that, you know, uh, the Big Dipper is not a constellation. (laughs) (laughs) I just like seeing people surprised on that one. Um, No, I I mean, I do it in a nice way. (laughs) Yeah, here's the Big Dipper. It's a part of the larger constellation, Ursa Major, and the Big Dipper is an asterism. So that's one thing I do like to share in shows. As far as space stuff, so my husband's a real space junkie too. So <laughs> it's kind of nice to talk with him about different things and
2: should have brought he, him, man. He, really, <laughs> you
1: should have. Um, but he he's really into space exploration and NASA, and so we are. Kind of following a little bit the Artemis launch. So that's gonna be the new mission to the moon. So NASA's planning to go to the moon. They're planning to put people on the moon around twenty twenty five. That might get pushed back, of course. But are people um,
2: going to live
1: there? Or no. Are they just putting them just put they're gonna put the first woman on the moon, so that's super okay. exciting. Um it hasn't
2: it hasn't been anyone on anyone on the moon in a while.
1: Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's been I a long know. time.
0: I don't know the last time. At least but.
1: for Americans. I, I guess I don't know who the last person on early, the moon was. Was it
0: early, early 70s, the last mission? And, uh, yeah, and, and no one other than the U.S. But it was oh, all okay. staged. Right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah completely, <laughs> completely. <laughs> you heard it from us, guys. <laughs> Is this a conspiracy theory podcast? <laughs> oh, this we is came a, to the wrong podcast. Yeah,
2: sorry. This is the wrong podcast. Uh, sorry. Guys. Yeah. Kankakee conspiracy <laughs> theories. Kankakee conspiracy. <laughs> but Strickler Planetarium is not a conspiracy. We did land on the moon. Um, what other?
1: <laughs> yeah, we have a, a show about landing on the moon. So okay. that's, a, that's a good one. Dawn of the Space Age. It's about the Apollo missions. Yeah, come see that one.
0: <laughs> Perfect. Talking about things that we're super excited about right now, and and again, the thing about having a digital planetarium is all of the new things that we're discovering. We don't have to wait long to be able to pull them into the planetarium and show them on the dome. Our databases, you know, can we can update those. Um, and so, for instance, the really big deal in astronomy right now is the James Webb Telescope, right? Hubble's replacement that was just launched, and we'll be bringing back data beaming back data really, really soon. So we're excited about what that's going to show because one of the things that makes astronomers really interested about telescopes, the farther out that you can see, the farther back in time you're seeing, right? Because if you can see a galaxy that's you know 10 billion years old 10, uh, right 10 billion light years that's away right. you're seeing is it looked 10 billion years ago so we're really hoping for instance the James Webb gets us some answers about maybe even the process of early galaxy formation so that's one of the things I'm I'm looking at right now and uh, and really excited about in astronomy the other thing to talk about too. <laughs> <laughs> Mm -hmm. Talk about breaking students' hearts in the planetarium, right? My favorite lesson is when we're talking about the motion of the sun. We talk about the motion of the sun across the ecliptic, the constellations that it passes through. And so those are the signs of the zodiac. So everybody knows their zodiac sign. And so we talk about, you know, what their sign is. And so my favorite part is showing, okay, well, you know, your sign lines up with where you know, what constellation the sun was in when you were born. And so we'll ask them what their sign is. We'll set the star or the sky for that date. And then we'll see that... Their actual zodiac sign is not what they've grown up believing. And their horoscope really? doesn't actually work for wow. them. Yeah, you know, how many most
1: t- of them are off. There's a few that are right. Some of the
0: really big ones. Yeah. yeah. But most of them have shifted over the past couple thousand
2: years. And yeah. How many people sign up for astronomy thinking it's astrology? Think it's
0: probably more
1: than I want <laughs> oh, to my know. Goodness. know. <laughs> so many people think I'm do, I am do astrology It just in conversation. I don't know how to correct it. Yeah. Okay. There,
2: there's relations but at the same time completely different yeah there's
1: a lot of relations especially when they first started a long time ago i mean steve knows more about the history but when astronomy and astrology you know first came about they were interconnected there wasn't a big separation between the two it's
0: what a lot of astronomers were doing were Mm -hmm. casting horoscopes because there was this idea well obviously the sun affects things on the earth and the moon affects the tides so these other lights that move through the sky surely they should have something to do with things on the earth well, that's actually not the case right we, we
2: eventually go. learned that and i was like oh okay right. so let's let's you know separate mm-hmm. <laughs> let's separate these two a little so but
0: bit. that's a fun lesson because yeah. yeah. students would be like I, I thought it was a libra my whole life <laughs> so
2: you're telling so, me i could come in and say okay my sign is
0: a i'm gemini and we could look And it would be... We could set the planetarium for when you were born, and the sun probably wouldn't be in Gemini. Wow.
2: See, there's a service in there. I feel like, <laughs> mm-hmm. I feel like uh, ONU could make a boatload of money. Find out, oh, find out when you're right. real, find out what your, real sign, uh, oh, out no, what your real sign is. Personalized, personalized. You sessions. think you're a Gemini, but you're not. <laughs> you there,
1: there are a lot of misconceptions when it comes to space. Uh, the motion of the moon. How the moon works, I feel like. Yeah, is a how big does one. the moon work? How we know the... it's
2: not cheese. We figure that out by now.
1: Mm-hmm. Or, or even lunar eclipse. So we had a lunar eclipse not too long ago, and yeah. I showed how a lunar eclipse works, where you've got the sun, then the Earth. And then the moon and the sun or the earth is blocking light from the sun to the moon. And people were just so confused. <laughs> that's how it works. Yes, that's how it works. Oh, and um, yeah, I guess there's just so many things you can show. Or we, ta- we just talked about seasons and changing. So we just had summer solstice. A week ago?
2: Yeah. Actually, I think it was a week ago from today. Yeah, a week ago
1: from today. So the show that weekend, I showed what summer solstice is and where the sun rises on that day, where it sets. And I had an older gentleman come afterwards, and he said, I had no clue what the summer solstice was. Thank you for clearing that up for me. I was like, (laughs) you're welcome. (laughs) Yeah, there's just a lot a lot of misconceptions. Yeah, because
2: there's four solstices. Right, four solstices:
1: summer solstice, it... uh, winter solstice, solstice, then fall and spring equinox. equinox so on okay. the equinox, you've got equal, you know, day and night. And then the summer solstice, we've got the longest day of the year. And then winter, we've got the shortest.
2: Okay, is there a is there a separate website for Strickler or
1: yeah, Strickler. Olivet. Edu. You can link it below.
2: Oh, yeah, I can link it. It'll, <laughs> right, it'll be linked in the show notes. It sounds like the sounds like the show has kind of change from almost week to week
1: or yeah is it each every couple month, of weeks each, each month, month we'll, we'll do a different show okay. yeah so in august we'll be doing a well, no july that third weekend in july we'll uh, have a show about the eclipse and then next do we month, have
2: an eclipse coming up
1: 2024, 2024. we yeah, had solar one solar eclipse
2: we had one is it sometime
0: 2017?
2: in 17
1: yeah. It's been already been that long? Yeah, it was it the year a while. my daughter was born. It was, the total yeah, it was solar 2017.
0: Eclipse. So, and and in the path of totality. So, with the total, with a And th- I remember total everyone
2: eclipse. was, I remember in the news, it was like, don't look at it with your, you know, everyone was like, you have to have these protective. Yeah, don't
1: look it. at the sun.
2: People were
0: giving out like protective eyewear. We were at the yeah. farmer's market for months leading up to that. That it was Steve like
1: giving out the protective out eyewear, the, uh,
0: <laughs> the um, eclipse glasses. Uh, which became quite the hot commodity. Um, So we had the total solar eclipse, the path of totality passed through southern Illinois. And then just a few years from now, 2024, same thing. The path of totality is going to sweep right through the United States and pass through southern Illinois. And so if any of your listeners have not seen a total solar eclipse, right, that's when the moon completely blocks the sun. It gets dark in the middle of the day. The most extraordinary thing you'll ever see. And... This is probably 2024, it'll probably be the last time in our lifetime that you'll be able to see it like without going too far. All I right. think the path this time will kind of sweep up through Indiana, so you won't have to quite go as far. But the difference between from here, it was near total, so maybe, I can't remember if it was like 95 or 96 or 97%, but the difference between a near total eclipse and a total total eclipse is worth the drive, Absolutely.
2: How long does that total eclipse last for? Is it just seconds? Is it minutes? It depends on
0: each eclipse, the the path of the moon. It's a little bit different for each eclipse, but uh, it was a maybe three or four minutes of totality. It, yeah, it was. It's it was a significant time period.
2: Okay. Yeah. And I wow.
0: can't
1: remember how long
0: it'll be the upcoming one, but yeah. probably on the same order.
2: Yeah.
1: Did you catch the last one from here? Did you rem- look at
2: it? I remember looking at it. I believe. Yeah. And with protective I, eyewear. With protective eyewear, <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, I'm not going to the eye doctor uh, after this podcast to see about my uh, – uh, no. Um, yeah, I remember seeing it, and I don't remember it having like the – obviously the, it wasn't a total right. eclipse. Right. But I remember it, it looking very strange.
0: So um, the eclipse show does a great job of talking about what it is, how it works, what to expect. So that's to look forward to. What's going on in the skies this summer, though, Jerry? I was going to ask I, mm-hmm. what if people, if their people are, you know, outside like I'm not going to go to the planetarium or don't have a chance. But what's yeah. going on in the night nice sky? Yeah, so curious. you can
1: still catch planet. The planets are in alignment, so okay. that's pretty cool. If you wake up early in the morning, I think. or so, you can go outside and see the planets lined up. All of the naked eye planets are in their order from the sun. The last time this has happened, I believe, was 2004, December 2004. It's like every 20 years or so. So you've got Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, and they're all lined up. So that's pretty cool. But if you don't want to wake up that early... (laughs) You can go out and you can see the Summer Triangle. We talked about that. I'm trying to think what else. There's a... What's the Summer
2: Triangle?
1: So those are the bright stars from the constellations Steve mentioned, Cygnus, Lyra, and Aquila. And so we've got Altair, Deneb, and... Vega, they make up the Summer Triangle. And so right now it's going to be a little bit further to the east in the sky, but then in August or so, it'll be right above, right overhead. So you'll look up and you'll see that triangle. It's pretty easy to spot. I would think so. Yeah. But there's meteor showers in August, beginning of August, end of July, I believe. The, can't remember which ones they are.
0: <laughs> I can't at the moment either.
1: Le- leonoids, maybe? I don't know that's not right.
0: <laughs>
1: I don't know, but there you can look these things up too. Right. Summer meteor um, showers are
0: the best. Yeah. Yeah,
1: I'll talk about them in the planetarium show.
2: Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll harbor the you...
1: secret of the dates and the names until then. <laughs>
2: Speaking of secrets, do you have any secrets or tips about do you know much about telescopes and how to like properly use them? Yes, we if do. Cuz I know so many people sometimes they just have these Telescopes that have just been laying around in their house mm-hmm. for who knows how many years, and they think, oh, you know, they listen to this podcast, so they're like I think I got a telescope somewhere in the house. I'm gonna go dig that out, and yeah. So, how do you properly use a telescope, especially in this this summer season? First, yeah.
1: I'm gonna plug the Kankakee Area Stargazers. That is our local group of stargazers. And they will actually offer, usually in December, just open their meetings up to the public and say, you know, or January and say, if you got a telescope and you want to you want us to help you use it, we can do that. They meet at Strickler usually the first Saturday of every month at 10 a.m. So you can pop into one of those meetings. And I mean, Steve and I are both able to help with telescopes, but I think that would be a great resource and a great place to start if you have a telescope or if you want to join the stargazers and you like looking at the sky.
0: Yeah, they're a great group of guys, people. Yeah, well, and the other question that we get a lot of time is, well, maybe I'm thinking of buying a telescope. What kind of telescope should I buy? Yeah. And so, yeah, there's there's a lot to be said about that. Usually – Do um, you have
2: to spend a lot of money?
0: Well, to... you usually kind of get what you pay for. Yeah, that's how it works, right? Yeah, <laughs> so I tell people, like, if they're really interested in astronomy – you want something that's not just off the shelf from Walmart because using it will be frustrating. And sometimes the most important part of a telescope is the tripod that it's on. Yes. If, it's, if you can't point it and hold it stable, then it's going to be really frustrating to use, even if maybe the optics are okay. So, um, so yeah, so usually, you know, maybe a, a couple hundred dollars. Well, and then the other thing to think about is, do I want a refracting telescope, the kind probably that you would get off the shelf at Walmart that uses lenses, or do I want a telescope that uses mirrors, a reflecting telescope? And often if you're just kind of getting started, but you don't want to spend maybe thousands of dollars, usually a reflecting telescope is the way to go.
1: Or a pair of binoculars.
0: That binoculars works Binoculars
1: can help with a lot. You can see some details on the planets. You can see some galaxies. You can see some nebula. Binoculars are great especially for a beginner and they're easy with a telescope you have to set it up You have to move it binoculars. You can just easily scan the sky move them around. I love binoculars for that
0: Yeah, that's something a lot of people don't think about No, I don't know. binoculars for bird watching take them outside. Yeah And just lay on your back Mm -hmm. and just sort of scan them across the Milky Way
2: Okay, yeah, I never would have thought about that either. That's good to know anything else?
0: I guess I would say if people are interested in, well, hey, you know, I want to come, uh, Jerry's kind of mentioned uh, private shows, right? I've got yes. a group, maybe a maybe a camping group or a church group or something like that. We are open to scheduling those shows pretty much whenever. So uh, you go to the website there, you can fill out a reservation uh, request form. And even along the lines of, well, I I really want to bring a group, maybe we're working on a Boy Scout badge and we want to talk about these specific constellations, right? We're happy to use the planetarium as a teaching tool and sort of cater to to your group's interests or or, or what you're looking for.
2: Yeah, cater to the community. So it's a
0: good thing to know that something like that
2: is open to the community. I think a lot of times the ones, those of us that aren't intertwined into Olivet in some shape or form, don't really think of it. And that way we just think, oh, that's all about Nazarene University. You know, you go
0: there for school and (laughs) that's Mm -hmm. that's it. So and we get lots of teachers bringing classes. We get field trips like Mm -hmm. like I would imagine. Yeah. Um, And so, again, there maybe it's a teacher that has never been and they're like, well, I've I've got a lesson on astronomy for fifth graders. Well, like what? Well, you know, tell us that and we can work with that. And, you know, you can bring your class for a field trip. Yeah, awesome. I'm
1: trying to work on creating shows that are catered to each grade level and what they would talk about. Um, but that's a work in progress. Yeah, I would like to get everybody into the planetarium. I think everybody should experience it at least once in their life. It's just too fun.
2: Absolutely. Jerry and Steve, thank you both so much. Thank for, you. Yeah, for being on. And, and uh, everyone go support the planetarium, Strickler sure. Planetarium at ONU.
0: It's always, it's never cloudy in
2: the <laughs> <laughs> No, clear skies. Right. Always yeah. clear for, clear forecast tonight. Awesome. Thank you again. Thank, Thank you. you. Well, that concludes this episode of Kankakee Podcast. I'm Jake Lamore. Thank you so much for listening. Please share this podcast with a family member, friend, or neighbor that you think might enjoy learning new things about the people and places of Kankakee County. Also, a special thank you to our patrons for helping make this episode possible, including Karen Bishop, James Reardon, Jake Lee, Jesse Arsenal, Dave Barron, Daryl Damper, Samantha Rocknowski, Lake Iverson, Travis Garcia, Jane Bostwick, Don Harrison, Simon Topless, Scott Wright, Kerry O'Connell, Jamie Race, Joanne Barry, Anthony Vicelli, Eric Olson, Dan DeBoard, Jeff and Rosa Carroll, Teague Dreenan, Sandy and Steve Twait, and Rose Lucky. To become a podcast patron, go to kankakeepodcast.com and then just click on the Patron tab. If you pledge $5 or more per month, you'll also hear your name announced on an episode. There's also other rewards like early access to new episodes, unedited versions of episodes, even video versions of select episodes, podcast merch, discounts on special events, and so much more. Your monthly pledge is truly appreciated. Our monthly goal right now is to reach $400 per month. And right now, we're about 37% away from reaching that goal. So please sign up for the patron program today at KankakeePodcast.com. Our theme song is by Lupe Carroll. Talk to you soon.
0: This river can-